Hi, my name is Steven Wakabayashi, and you're listening to Yellow Glitter Mindfulness Through the Eyes and Soul of a Gay Asian. Every episode, I share with you what's on my mind or things I'm struggling with, and how I'm working through it to help you live a more mindful, fabulous life. This episode, we're going to chat about the coronavirus. I talk about the clear warning signs that were left ignored by Asia and Italy. How our American privilege has led us to where we are today. Why focusing on the numbers should not be our main priority. Why getting rid of wet markets is not the solution. This global xenophobia spurred by this pandemic. How to deal with racism and prejudice during this time. And some advice on how to cope and manage emotions. It's been quite the week, hasn't it? While China has been battling COVID-19 in November of last year, the rest of the world watched silently. Despite the dramatic shutdowns and number of cases growing exponentially every single day, it was business as usual everywhere else. As it spread to other Asian countries, including South Korea and Japan, the soon-to-be pandemic was largely ignored by the West. Once this novel coronavirus hit the shores of Italy, it was still dismissed by their neighbors. Now, all the European countries are struggling to fight to control this outbreak by instituting the very same measures that had gone unrecognized in Asia and Italy. This past weekend, Germany banned public gatherings of more than two, and Italy banned all outdoor exercising, including walking, running, and cycling, as a means to stop the spread of this virus. While this outbreak has unfolded in the past few months, most Americans are still oblivious. For many, life is still business as usual. Despite the setbacks from closed businesses and flights, People are taking spring breaks and vacations. Even with mandated home lockdowns in place, I still see people frolicking in parks on Instagram and roaming through the streets right outside my window. I had to go pick up some prescriptions yesterday and on my way there, I was covered from head to toe in my hazmat gear. I put on a mask, I put on sunglasses, I put on gloves. But there are so many people still not wearing any protective equipment. They didn't have masks, glasses, goggles, gloves, anything. And it was really scary, to be honest, because we have this pandemic happening and people still don't take it seriously. The way we respond in unprecedented times reveal much more about ourselves than we know. This is our price of privilege. Challenging privilege is an extremely difficult undertaking, especially when asking Americans to stay at home to save the lives of others. Life has been way too comfortable over the past few decades, being free of recession, famine, disease, or war within our borders. Take, for instance, early statistical reports of COVID-19 coming out of China and Italy. Rate of fatality was most concentrated on the older population, 65 and up. Instead of heeding this advice and warning to immediately set up protection, isolation for the vulnerable older population or those immunocompromised, the younger generation took the data and made it work for themselves. I won't die, they said. There is this harrowing video of spring breakers in Florida last week that was published where they went on camera saying, 
it didn't matter that this was happening all around the world, that their spring break should not be interrupted. And even as people around the world are dying, it still isn't enough. There aren't enough dead bodies to take this seriously for some people. It's just the flu, they say. If we follow this same very logic of not taking this seriously until it surpasses the number of deaths as a flu, world hunger, or other issue that is affecting the world, we would only start to take actions after millions of deaths. Now it takes weeks before isolation to directly impact the rate of infection and creating a vaccine also takes 12 to 18 months. We would have decimated our population before any flattening of the curve were to be taking place. Still, there are many who refute statistical data around the number of cases and deaths from COVID-19 to be widely inaccurate. I wholeheartedly agree. Until COVID-19 testing begins in any region, initial statistics of coronavirus and related deaths are not accounted. Many are sent home misdiagnosed with the flu, and deaths are recorded as pneumonia or other complications arising from a collapsed immune system. Others that are at home, suffering alone, and unable to go to the hospital, they aren't counted as well. Recently, the mayor of Bergamo, the epicenter of the worst COVID-19 outbreak in Italy, wrote, For each COVID death, there are three who die at home of pneumonia without a test. The statistics we have are grossly underreported. In my opinion, we may be way past the point of containment. Some states are just now starting to close businesses, schools, and public spaces. International and domestic flights are still operating, surprisingly, out of major hubs. Churches are still operating despite local ordinances. And majority of Americans are still walking around without masks or gloves, believing that social distance is all the protection they need. And the cherry on top? testing kits are still unavailable to majority of Americans. While I agree that further reporting will improve our statistical assessment of this virus, there is still this assumption that after testing positive, there is a whole medical facility, staff, and supplies ready and waiting. The reality is getting tested will not add more ventilators to a hospital, open up more hospital beds, or bring back to life those we have already lost. Getting tested does not magically pop out a doctor out of thin air to treat you if you tested positive. Regardless of its testing availability, it should not impact the precautionary measures we need to take at this moment. At this point, we should be operating as if everyone is an asymptomatic carrier of COVID-19. Based on projections by Governor Cuomo of New York City, between 40 to 80% will be infected with the virus. Since this level of severity is potentially linked to viral load, the amount of virus that is within us, we should be isolating as much as possible to reduce aggregating additional viral particulates. We must err on the side of caution and learn from our brothers, sisters, and other siblings from all around the world. My immediate advice, stop traveling, reduce or eliminate movement through public spaces as much as possible, cover up when going outside, 
using gloves, masks, or any other protective layer. Also, glasses. Protect your eyes. Stay healthy. Hydrate. All we can do is take this day by day and see where we get to. Another day that passes is another day closer to the end of this pandemic. Now, let's take it back to the suspected origins of COVID-19, the wet markets. These are the markets where both live and dead animals are sold within close distances of each other. There's a whole range of animals. There are livestock, exotic animals, amphibians, dogs, reptiles, insects, bats, you name it. And this particular coronavirus was traced back to Wuhan, and some reports suggest that it was passed through bats or even snakes that they had passed it on to. In the end, the reality is, for as long as we continue to consume animals or animal byproducts, such as animal skin bags like leather, and create cosmetics products with it, like lipstick and soaps, these wet markets will continue to flourish as a cost-effective means to buy and sell animals, especially for poor communities. Wet markets are also not just in China. They're all around the world, including in India and in Mexico. We need to take this into consideration and understand the deeper socioeconomic complexity if we want to address the root of this problem. Closing one wet market mindlessly will only push the goods and buyers toward another location. A month ago, China passed a law in response to this pandemic, criminalizing wildlife trade, but guaranteed that for as long as we mass consume animal products, there will still be a means to fulfill these orders in as large quantity as possible for as cheap as possible. For as long as the need exists, there will be sellers existing to fulfill these needs. The next topic I want to talk about is this xenophobia that has been spurred by this pandemic. When this virus first originated in China and started to decimate city after city within China, it was largely still ignored by the rest of the world. And as people started to die in the hundreds and even in the thousands, there were still memes posted about the coronavirus on social media. To some, this was a joke. Let's not forget that when the Notre Dame Cathedral burned down in Paris with zero casualties, the entire world was in solace. Millions of dollars were poured within hours to help rebuild this monument, and millions others posted photos paying tribute on their social media about Pray for Paris and posting personal photos of them at the monument. But... Unlike Notre Dame Cathedral, there was no pray for China spread when this coronavirus issue was becoming global, even when coronavirus was starting to go global. There were no millions of dollars pouring in from all around the world, and there were no people sharing sentimental photography about their visit to China, despite housing one of the most recognizable and popular tourist attractions the Great Wall of China. As this pandemic broke out for months to most of the world, the coronavirus was just a China issue. This has also transpired into horrid racism 
all around the world, including right here in New York City where I live. I see on social media countless videos of verbal to physical abuse of folks attacking Asians in public spaces. Asians being screamed at by others at the top of their lungs, Asians being spat at, Asians being brutally mauled, and some of these perpetrators proudly record themselves on social media enacting these racist acts. By now, it is clear that this virus doesn't discriminate. It is transmissible from any race to any race. You won't catch it just because you're Asian, and you won't catch it only by an Asian. But still, xenophobia around this issue still persists. Our President Trump has also been fueling this as well. Just a week ago, Trump addressed the coronavirus by calling it the China virus and defending his statement in countless number of times. And when the United States president condones such blatant racism, it empowers prejudice and violence even more. In reality, these individuals come from a very selfish place. They are taking out their feelings of fear, anxiety, and worry on Asians as if that will protect them from the non-discriminatory virus. And for all my Asian listeners, I have so much empathy and compassion for what you're going through. In no way are these acts of hate permissible by any means. However, my advice, do what you must to keep yourself safe. Do not try to rationalize with those who come from a selfish place of fear and anxiety, especially in a a potential physical altercation. Leave the situation. Do not escalate it. Learn to pop out your phone and record as necessary, but also ensure that you have access to a line of communication either digitally or physically if you need someone to intervene and call 911 on your behalf. If it's a physical altercation, point out someone, address them directly, and tell them to help you or help somebody. A few days ago, New York State just launched a hotline for New Yorkers to report hate crime and discrimination based on anti-Asian harassment from the coronavirus. You can reach out to them at civil.rights at ag.ny.gov or call them at 1-800-771-7755. And as another resource, the nonprofit Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council, A3PCon, has partnered with Chinese for Affirmative Action, CAA, and together they created an online reporting center to write in incidents that you or others have experienced based on xenophobia. I'll put the link in the show notes. Lastly, a few thoughts on how to process the flurry of emotions that this pandemic may have stirred up. First, We all handle trauma differently. For some, this trauma might be addressed by ignoring. For some, it might be addressed by taking this head on. Allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you are feeling as that is how you are processing it. And don't kill yourself over trying to be like everyone else or try to have everyone else process it as you have. Second, slow down. During crises and volatile states, we go into hyperspeed autopilot mode. We don't want to be in this situation and we try to implement our coping strategies hastily in hopes that this will end it faster. 
The reality is we have no idea where this is headed one day from now or a week from now, but all we know is today. Are you safe? Are you fed? Are you healthy? Slow down, take a breather, and come to the present. And when we are in the present, we can think with clarity and mindfulness. The decisions we make are not spurred out of anxiety of the past or the future, but of what we need in this present moment. Third, find opportunities to connect. Check up on those who might be at risk, friends and family who are older or with compromised immune systems. Just check in, be present with them, share a laugh, a memory, a story, and no need to solve anything. You can also host a virtual group gathering, and there are so many free conferencing products on the market to host these calls. Google Hangouts, Apple FaceTime, Facebook Messenger, Zoom, Uber Conference. Personally, I've fallen in love with Zoom over the past few weeks due to its ease of use and robust features. I had no idea you can also set up polls, breakout rooms, and live streaming with that platform. And I'll put a reference to all of these in the show notes as well. Fourth, and lastly, establish a sense of routine to ground yourself in activities that nourish you, especially during this moment when we spend all of our waking time in our homes, in our bedrooms. Time seems to warp. Cooking, cleaning, working, exercising, reading, our bodies become so confused at what to do, when, and where. And to help bring your body back, to ground yourself, start scheduling, start time, and also end time so that you can start training your body to recognize when you're going to start doing things, when, based on the time of day. And also, Ensure that you get a dose of the activities that feed your mind and your soul, whether it's reading, learning a new language, or meditating, or anything else that brings you pleasure, happiness, contentment. Block out time in your calendar and prioritize this. We're all in this together, and all we can do is to take this day by day. Another Another day that passes is another day that we are closer towards the end of this grueling pandemic. Stay safe and be well. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can reach out to me via my Instagram at Stephen Wakabayashi or on Twitter and Facebook at Waku, W-A-K-U-U. Feel free to message me, slide into my DMs. I always love to hear your feedback and thoughts. And I also publish a weekly mindfulness newsletter at mindfulmoments.substack.com to hear what's on my mind and links to things that I discover online that inspire me each week. And if you enjoyed this, please leave me a rating on Apple Podcasts. It just takes a few seconds. And if you have a few minutes, leave a comment. It helps other people find this podcast as well. And I'd love to know what your thoughts are. With that, so much love for you and hope your day can be a little bit more mindful. Bye now.